Welcome to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ with minister Chris Palmer. Bernie Church of Christ meets for worship each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You can find Bernie Church of Christ at 1 Upper Balconies Road, right next to Starbucks. Now, with today's message, here's minister Chris Palmer. What were you doing? What was going on in your life a year ago today? What was going on in your life that was interrupted? And have you been able to pick up where you left off? About this time last year, Jenna and I were celebrating our wedding anniversary. We got away for just a few days, just the two of us here in in this area, um, and it was certainly memorable. Uh, we had been away for a day. We'd left town. We were, we were gone. And we actually came back to Bernie to both pick up our laptops so we could try to stay on top of things while we were away and still enjoy our trip. But everywhere we went, TVs were on, reporting statistics and advice from different experts on all sorts of things. We were getting notifications of school closures, although we had no idea for how long. And all of my March, bra- uh, March Madness brackets this time last year were completely ruined before a single tip-off had occurred. Our anniversary conversations were less about our relationship, uh, the past and the future, and were more about how we could not believe everything that was happening. And we were fantasizing about how fun it was going to be to have one extra week of spring break. <clears throat> The first week was fun. (laughs) Maybe a year ago, you were busy planning for prom or graduation. Maybe you just started a new job. Maybe you were looking forward to an upcoming sports season. I look back, I cannot believe that it's been nearly a year already since the passing of our friend and brother, George Bernard. So much has happened over the last year. This month now holds a special significance for all of us. So have you been able to pick up where you left off a year ago? Actually, even Officer Rowe's presence this morning is the outcome of restarting our security projects that were in the works this time last year. Well, a year ago for us here... There was a Bible class meeting in that back corner classroom. A group of us were working through this book, Francis Chan's book, Multiply. Through that study, we were not just studying, but also um, uh, in a process of identifying people that we knew, people who were already in our lives that we could share the message of Jesus Christ with, that we could help make them a disciple I want to share with you some of the opening paragraph of that book. Francis writes, From the beginning of Christianity, the natural overflow of being a disciple of Jesus has always been to make disciples of Jesus. From the start, God's design has been for every single disciple of Jesus to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until the gospel spreads to all peoples. This principle, this teaching, comes from all sorts of stories and teachings throughout the New Testament. If you have a Bible, with, uh, Bible this morning, I invite you to join me in Luke chapter 5. Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter. That's going to be our main text this morning. 
This, uh, this, this chapter of Scripture comes at a, at a point in Jesus' ministry very early on. He hasn't done many miracles. He hasn't <clears throat> done a whole lot of teaching. And so far as we can tell, at this point in Luke's gospel, the only enemies that Jesus has made are those from his own hometown, the people that he grew up with. And I want to set the stage for us a little bit. In chapter 4, we see Jesus, again early in his ministry, traveling around and gaining some attention. And he comes to this point where he needs to retreat. He retreats out to a desolate place, I imagine, to recharge and to pray, as he often does. And yet still a crowd finds him. This crowd finds him and they encourage him. Jesus, sit still. We want you to stay here. Stay with us. We want you to be ours. And he responds, Jesus responds, Luke 4, 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. For I was sent for this purpose. We see very early on in Jesus' ministry this foundation of multiplication. Fundamental to his ministry was going and spreading, not rules, not a formula, but the good news of the kingdom of God. So he says to these people, he says, I can't stay here. I have to be on the move. Them, those people down the road in the next time, they're going to want to hear what I have to say. And they do. The next people in the next town so long to hear the word to hear his message. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them. They were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. We see Jesus here preaching by the lake shore. And this is a big lake. There we go. We got a picture of it there. This is a big lake. It's miles wide and miles long. The Jordan River flows into and out of the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. It's big enough to host enough fish to keep a bunch of fishermen in business. And as Jesus is teaching there, the crowd is so large and the crowd is so eager that they are pressing in on him up against the water. Why? What is it that they want? It says here that all they want is to hear the word of God from Jesus. Earlier in chapter 4, verse 32, it says that Jesus' teaching is already being identified as astonishing and authoritative, so different from the teaching that they were used to hearing. And this crowd by the lake just wants to hear him share the word of God. So they come to him. They come to him hungry and curious and ready, maybe a little skeptical, but nonetheless seeking. They're not looking for a gimmick. They're not looking for some magic trick. They just want to hear Jesus talk about the Word of God, and they are pressing in on him. And so he wants a little space. So he backs up, and he gets in one of the boat, and he asks the owner of the boat to push back from the water, or push back from the land just a little bit, and Jesus sits down, 
and he teaches from the boat. Verse 4, and when they had finished, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Already we see something here. Already we see in Simon, who's also called Peter, an acknowledgement of something special in Jesus. He addresses him as master, and he obeys Jesus for some reason, even though they had already started to clean and put away their nets after a whole night of unsuccessful fishing. So they go out into the deep, and they cast their nets. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, I will confess something this morning. I don't fish good. I am not a good fisherman. I enjoy fishing. I enjoy the peace. I enjoy the company of those with whom I fish, but I don't ever catch any fish, which I'm told is the point. I tell my kids that I go casting. I go casting. I, I don't go fishing because I never catch any fish. My family, they, they, they go and, and they all catch fish. They catch fish all day long. I use the same rod, the same bait, the same spot. At the same time, nothing. So I can relate a little bit to the frustration of trying and trying and trying and getting nothing. But I'm just doing it for fun. And these guys here, it's their livelihood. So after listening to Jesus, Peter and his partners, in spite of all their previous back-breaking work the night before, they now effortlessly haul in such an insane catch that their nets begin to tear and the boats begin to sink. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. I mean, this happens sometimes, right? We talked about last week the humility that swells up within us when we are presented with the undeniable reality of Jesus and how he removes from us all pride and arrogance. And that's what Peter is experiencing here, I think. He addresses Jesus differently now. No longer does he call Jesus master, now he calls him Lord. No longer is he just a good teacher or an influential leader, but now he is righteous and holy and divine, and he gives him that recognition through that title. But Peter wants a little space. You're listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. The Bernie Church of Christ is located at 1 Upper Balconies Road, right next to Starbucks. You can join the Bernie Church of Christ for online or in-person worship each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Now, with the rest of today's message, here's Minister Chris Palmer. 
Jesus is now pressing in on Peter just as the crowd was pressing in on Christ. He is pressing in on Peter's life. Peter was having just just another normal day at work. And for whatever reason, Jesus thought that this was the right place and time to have a conversation with Peter. Well, for Peter, no, it's not. So he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I'm not clean. I'm not worthy to have you here with me on my little boat because I can now see clearly who you are through this incredible miracle, which means you can probably see me for who I am. So that means that you know who I am, that I am unqualified and undeserving of your presence. I get the sense, or I don't get the sense that Paul or Peter is expecting or feels entitled to any kind of invitation or job offer, but that's what he gets. Middle of verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It says that they got to land and they left everything. Well, if that includes all of their fish, and then what was the point of the miracle? You ever try really, 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 really hard to accomplish something, to achieve something, to make something, to fix something, maybe even fix someone, and you tried everything that you can think of, and it's just not working? You can get to that point where you're out of ideas, you're out of resources, you're out of options, and maybe you're coming at it from the wrong angle. Maybe now is just not the right time. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe this isn't something you should be chasing in the first place. Maybe the thing that you're striving for is not within the will of God for you to have. These are all very possible explanations for our frustrations with our work, our school, our relationships, our health, the world, and so on. And we may think, why can't I just cast my nets and catch what it is that I want to catch? But what is Jesus talking about specifically here? There is a clear connection here between the crowd and the fish. You see, Jesus isn't just attracting Peter, James, and John. He is calling them. He's recruiting them, specifically them, to be disciples, to be students who would follow a rabbi. And in that call, Jesus has two very obvious images at his disposal, an overloaded boat full of fish and a crowd of people pressing in to hear the word of God. And Jesus tells Peter, do not be afraid, but I'm going to show you how you can do what we did with those fish, except with those people. So they park the boats, they leave the fish, they leave the family, they leave their old lives behind, and they follow Jesus. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you understand, you know, you've experienced probably the challenge it is to be fishers of men to be successful in Jesus' command from Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, this can be a very difficult task, right? 
we can feel like we are casting our nets over and over and over, day and night, just like me fishing in the creek, and we catch nothing but grass and sticks and mud, but no fish. We invite people to join us at church services or in a Bible study or at our small group or go on mission trip with us or go to summer camp together or have a prayer meeting with one another. And sometimes it can feel like no one is listening, nobody cares, and it's just not working. Now, this assumes that this is something that we're actually doing. It's something that, we actually, uh, that we're actually going out and saying. And sometimes we have fears of the arguments that might arise over differing religious beliefs. And sometimes we have the assumption that they've already heard about Jesus and they've made their choice. Or maybe, I just don't know how to start a conversation with somebody else about God. Unfortunately, sometimes the lives that others see us living aren't very consistent with the faith that we profess. So I am hesitant to share my faith with them, to bring up Jesus with them, because I'm not always the most Christ-like example myself. I think maybe we see Peter wrestling with that here when he calls himself a sinful man. But this multiplication teaching is a core and weighty teaching of Christianity. Evangelism, discipleship, bearing fruit, fishing for men, going into all the world, sowing seeds, is something that all believers are called to do. Now, certainly, I think we all fulfill this call in different ways with the different talents and gifts and opportunities that we have. I might share Jesus's message through mentoring, but you might share it through hospitality or teaching or service and so on. But we all have that chance, and I think we all have that ability. We all have that ability to be fruitful and multiply. You and I can actually do this. You can make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But may we not be discouraged. May we not be discouraged. When we look out at the state of the world around us, we can be so easily deceived into thinking that there just aren't that many fish in the sea. We fear that the number of Christians or people even interested in Jesus is shrinking and shrinking, and the world is becoming more and more secular, and belief in God globally is on the decline, and our Christian values are disappearing from the world around me. At least that's what I read on an article that somebody posted on Facebook. And all of that may be true, but may we not be discouraged about it. May we not be deceived into thinking that there aren't lots and lots of people who desperately want to hear the word of God. Satan loves to discourage us. He loves when we think that no one is listening and no one wants to hear. But the truth is that there are tons of people, people that you and I know, people we see every day who would press in to hear the word of God. Why? I think because people were created to be in personal relationship with their creator. And whether everyone knows it or not, there is a deep hunger in the soul of humanity for presence of God in each and every one of our lives. And each believer has the opportunity to show the world that we have found what fully, truly, and finally satisfies that hunger. His name is Jesus Christ. Will everybody listen? No. Some fish just don't want to be caught. There have been seasons in my life where I just didn't want to be caught. 
Luke chapter 10, like Grant read for us just a little bit, starts with the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But if you skip down just a little bit further in that chapter, Jesus tells his followers that he sends out, he says, go out, but there's going to be some folks who listen and there's going to be some folks who don't. Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells this parable of a master who is throwing this big banquet, but most of his invited guests decline. So the master sends out his messenger and he says, go out and bring in all the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And then he says, uh, 14 verse 23, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. Why? That my house may be filled. That's the heart of God. He loves his children and he wants his house to be full of them. There's some who won't come, but there's a whole lot who will. So may we not be discouraged. The world may change, but Jesus doesn't, and the world is still searching for him. Now, we can fish all day and all night and not catch a thing, but the beauty of our mission is that it's not about how hard we try and how hard we try to force it. Sure, making disciples can be heartbreaking, it can be tiresome, it can be frustrating, it can even feel pointless at times. And we're talking in terms of fish, but that's not to objectify or dehumanize anyone. It's just a simple illusion, to under, uh, illustration to understand. We know that our neighbors are not fish. They are incredibly valuable people. And they aren't just numbers that we want to fill our boat with. They are eternal souls created in the image of God. But as it is our job, it's our calling to introduce those souls to Jesus, and that can be a very difficult mission, Jesus does most of the work. We notice how in this story, Peter is only successful when Jesus is the one who's calling the shots. He's up all night, he's casting his nets, he catches nothing. But when Jesus is in charge on Peter's boat, it's overwhelming success. Paul writes something similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, what then is Apollos? Apollos is one of, Jesus, or one of uh, Paul's ministry buddies. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And maybe you'll be the person who plants a seed in someone else's life. Maybe you'll be the one who nurtures it, who waters it. But thankfully, God does the hard and beautiful work of growing life in the human heart. So what were you doing a year ago? What was going on in your life a year ago that got interrupted? And have you had a chance to resume? And maybe, and maybe not. Maybe the opportunity has passed. For a group of us meeting in that little corner classroom, we were identifying specific people that God had already put in our lives who we could tell about the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think about that, and I wonder, maybe they're more receptive now than they would have been a year ago. So that's my challenge for all of us this week, and really any time. Identify somebody that you already know, that God has already put in your life, someone you know 
who needs Jesus. Now, whether you're going out and about or not, this is something that you can do. You can identify that person and you can pray for them. You can pray daily for that person that they may be receptive to Christ. But I encourage you to pray something else also. I encourage you to give God permission to use you. Tell God that you are willing and you are ready to be one of his laborers in the field, to be a fisher for men, a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples. And when he gives you that opportunity, when the opportunity presents itself to say something or do something, may we lower our nets and watch what Jesus can do. Thank you for listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. You can join the Bernie Church of Christ here on Bernie Radio each Sunday at 11 a.m. or for worship online or in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To learn more about the Bernie Church of Christ, please visit BernieChurchOfChrist.org or call 830-249-2685. That is 830-249-2685. Thank you once again for listening to the Bernie Church of Christ.